First Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 through 13. Now this is the word of the Lord. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience, and let them also be tested first, then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. First Timothy is about building on foundations. As the church endures from generation to generation, um, we... First Timothy is answering the questions that we might have. For instance, what are the dangers that we are to look for? Or what kind of leadership should we be seeking? Questions like, what is the mission of the church? And what are the principles that we must hold fast to? This letter seeks to answer those types of questions. Now, the passage that we have before us is considering the issue of leadership in the church. Now, please, uh, don't be mistaken. While the gospel and its movement has always been organic, while the gospel movement has always been organic and spontaneous, that doesn't mean that the church was wild and disorganized. In fact, While the gospel spread like wildfire, there was within the church stability and good organization in terms of leadership. We find in the early church that there were apostles, there were deacons, there were elders, there were councils, and people got together in the councils and they made decisions as to how the gospel was to be presented and applied. So the church in the early age, or in the early uh, time, was very Presbyterian. It was well-ordered. It wasn't like the Quakers at all. Now, some of you might find this strange. Some of you might be asking, well, why is it that the church, why do we need human leaders? Why do we need this structure of human leadership? I mean, isn't Jesus the head of the church? And isn't the church led by the Holy Spirit? Well, friends, I'll have you know that the God whom we worship is not a God of disorder, 
but he is the God of peace and order. For instance, I mean, just look at creation, the way in which God creates. God doesn't create things in a vacuum and just throws them all together and say, hey, you guys figure it out. No. When God creates, everything has a role, everything has a function, there is intention and design behind everything that God makes. So he tells the sun, rule over the day. He tells the moon, govern the night. And they are not competing against one another, but they are always in harmony with each other. All of creation, everything that God creates, exists in harmony with one another, and together they declare the glory of God. And so we have to see God as a maestro. He is conducting a symphony, which is all of creation. And you know, likewise is the case with the church. While Jesus is the head of the church and the church is led by the Holy Spirit, God, he brings order and structure and peace to the church by designating roles and offices. Now, there are two offices that God gives to the church. And the two offices that we find in today's passage is overseer and deacon. Now, overseer uh, is a word that we don't use, um, at, at least in our church, and our denomination, but overseer is just another word for elder. And if I can just break this down just a little bit more, there are two types of elders in the church. Uh, there are what we call teaching elders, which is a pastor, and there are ruling elders. And then the other office that we find in today's passage is that of a deacon. And our congregation, we have currently six deacons. Now, what we'll do is um, this passage, uh, 1 Timothy 3, uh, you will spend time in your community groups uh, studying this passage in greater depth. But today, I want to just touch upon one broad topic with respect to officers in the church. And that is the topic of aspiration. Aspiration. Now, if this is your first time at church and you are not a Christian, you might be tempted to think, I came on the wrong week. <laughs> They're talking about just in-house stuff now. Uh, but friends, the gospel is spontaneous. I believe that. Uh, I've heard people be converted, come to Christ, with uh, other more mundane passages of Scripture. But also, for those of you who might not even be interested, well, I don't really care what the offices of the church is, I don't care about organization, I don't care about all this stuff. For, for all of you, I just want you to know that, at least walk away with this, that what we do as a church isn't a free-for-all. What we do as a church with the structure and the strictures that we have isn't made up, uh, but at least the one thing that maybe you can take away is this. We as a church, 2,000 years removed from Christ, we still want to be faithful to God's word. And this is our effort in trying to be faithful to what God is saying. 
So if there's one thing that you can walk away with, it is that. Now, um, I want to talk about uh, the topic now of aspiration. Because when it comes to being an officer in the church, I find that there are two common misconceptions. And the first common misconception is encapsulated in a, a comment like this. I, I don't want to be an officer of the church. I find that this is the most common response when it comes to church offices. And the reason for this response varies. Some say, you know, I don't want to be an officer of the church because I'm not qualified. I'm not ready. Others say, you know, I really don't need a position or an office to serve. Others say, you know what, I don't agree with the position or the direction of the church, so I can't be an officer. And others, probably the most simple response or the most common response is, I don't have the bandwidth or the time. Now, the second attitude that we find, or that's commonly found when it comes to officers of the church, the second misconception that we have is encapsulated in a statement like this. No one should seek to become an officer of the church. No one should seek it. Right? We, we tend to think, well, this isn't something that you should want, because if you do want to become an officer, it just means that you're not ready to become an officer. Well, I think verse 1 dispels both of those misconceptions. Verse 1, Paul writes this. The saying is trustworthy. It's true. We can rely upon it. It's reliable. And the saying is this. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Now, verse 1 speaks of overseers or elders, but I believe um, if we consider the verbiage, he's suggesting the same thing for deacons, because if you look at verse 8, uh, Paul starts with deacons likewise, and he lists very similar qualifications. And so the argument is this, Paul is saying, he's saying plainly that aspirations to become an officer of the church is good. It's good. Why? Because being called by God to serve the body of Christ is a noble task. And every Christian should desire it. You know, if you go through the qualifications one by one, these aren't qualifications that are specific just for the officers, right? I mean, if you go through them, we should read and think, well, you know, all Christians should seek these things, like caring or managing a household well, right? A husband shouldn't just go to his wife and say, honey, I'm not called to be an elder, so I don't have to manage our household well. That's ridiculous. Right? You know, we tend to, when it comes to the passages like this, you know, the church tends to just shut off and say, you know what, I'm not this, I don't care about this, I don't want this, and so we shut off and we don't listen to what God is saying. Well, friends, these are things that our entire church, that all believers 
should be working on and aspiring towards. Now, even though this is the case, I still think that the members of a church have uh, a difficult time aspiring to become an officer. And frankly, when it comes to electing and calling officers in the church, it doesn't feel like this noble and glorious and joyous task. Sometimes it feels like jury duty. I'm asking people to call to, to a call that they just don't want to do. Now, I think that the reason for this disconnect between what the church, between what the Bible says, that this is something that we should aspire towards, the disconnect between what the Bible says and how we really feel about church offices is the disconnect that we have is, I think because so much of the attention is focused on the individual and not the one who calls. I mean, if you think about the ways in which we tend to respond, it's we say, I don't want to do it. I'm not ready. My views are different. My schedule doesn't allow it. It's rarely about the one who calls. It's rarely about the church to which one is called to serve. And it is almost always about the self. And church, I think we have forgotten the simple truth, this very, very simple truth, that it is a joy and a privilege to be called by God. Even if that service is difficult, time-consuming, unrewarding, because the joy is not in the work itself, but the joy is in the master who calls us to it. You know, for the past few months, uh, America, our country, we have largely, largely been focused and at times almost obsessed with our president and his dealings with the foreign government. Now, because of the impeachment inquiry that's going on and the collusion case that we've followed and went through for years, we as Americans, we were able to witness key figures in government involved give their testimony live on television before Congress. Now, amidst all of this political drama and chaos, I found two testimonies in particular to be a breath of fresh air and a sign of real hope for our country that has been deeply divided. And the two testimonies that I'm talking about are the uh, testimonies of Special Counsel Robert Mueller, a few months ago, and more recently, the acting director of national intelligence, Joseph McGuire. Now, these two individuals, they were two separate cases, two separate timelines, but these two people, before they stood before Congress and the American people, media outlets on both sides of the political spectrum, they started to speculate as to how they were going to respond. They started to speculate as to which side that they were going to take. And so they questioned, were they one of just Trump's many henchmen, or were they a part of the deep state looking to overthrow our current president? 
And articles and op-eds appeared in all publications, digging up their past and their political affiliations, their backgrounds. And both sides were smearing the witnesses before they even took the stand. Now, the truth is, no one wants to go before Congress. Why would you go before a committee only to get bashed on by both sides? It's almost career suicide. But the reason why I found these interviews and their testimonies to be refreshing is because in their opening statements, both made clear that their allegiance is not to just a single president or to a political party, but they referenced that they had a higher calling, a higher calling. The men swore allegiance to the Constitution and the American people whom they were called to serve. Joseph McGuire in particular, he made reference to decades of service as a public servant, how he served under eight different presidents. And he reminded the public that the reason why he was testifying was not so that he can help one side, but because he took an oath, and it was his duty as a public servant, even if it meant being smeared. This is um, in his opening statement, Joseph McGuire. This is what he says, and I found this to be hopeful for our country, but he said this, the oath that he, that he took is sacred. The oath is a foundation of our Constitution. The oath to me means not only that I swear true faith and allegiance to that sacred document, but more importantly, I view it as a covenant I have with my workforce that I lead and every American, that I will well and faithfully discharge the duties of my office. See, Joseph McGuire understood that despite the political circus that was going on, he had a higher calling. And he tried to answer that by appearing before Congress. He didn't want to do it. No one wants to do it. But he had to answer because of a vow, an oath that he took. You know, we have a, uh, a sister in our congregation who was married two months ago to, I believe, an army sergeant. She's sitting right there. And uh, during their wedding preparations, they found out that uh, Fong, the husband, was going to be deployed to Afghanistan. Uh, Fong, in fact, was here two weeks ago worshiping with us, and he left on Monday, October the 14th, two weeks ago. Uh, when you think about a military wife, you might be thinking of someone maybe in their mid-30s with three children living in the Midwest or the South, right? But um, our sister, uh, she's in her 20s. Uh, she's a chemist with lots of student loans. <laughs> She's a millennial. Um, and, you know, she is a part of our congregation, faithfully serving and worshiping with us. Now, I don't want to sound like I'm espousing a form of patriotism here or romanticizing the whole ordeal. But simply put, our brother Fong left right after he got married because he had a higher call. 
His country called for his service. He had a duty. And though he had every reason to stay, he had just gotten married, he's trying to settle down, he had to answer his call. Friends, as believers, as followers of Jesus Christ, we all have a higher calling. God doesn't just save his people and throw them all into a church like a refugee camp saying, hey, you guys figure things out. No, God has a plan. He has a goal. He has a purpose for each and every one of us. Remember, God is a maestro. He isn't just a big ideas guy whose only plan was to save you and everything else, you know what, you'll figure that on your own. Once you're saved, that's great. No. God has planned out your life. He has planned out your life. He has given you a higher calling. He has planned how you will live for the praises of his glory. He has given to each and every one of us a call that is noble, a call that we should all aspire towards. For some of us, that call is to serve as an officer of the church. For others, it might be to serve as a missionary. Others, it might be a call to be a prayer supporter or a financial supporter. Others, it might be a call to be an evangelist spreading the gospel. But the more we focus on ourselves, the more we think about ourselves, the more God's call will feel like a disruption in our lives, or even worse, an annoyance. The point to be made is simply this. God's call is for every one of us. It's for all of us. David Platt, in his most recent book, Something Needs to Change, he writes this towards the end reminding us of this simple truth. God's call is for every one of us, whether you're a teacher, a business professional, or a stay-at-home parent, a student, or retiree, God has created your life to count in a world of urgent need. So don't underestimate the part God is calling you to play, starting right where you live. Realize that God has you where you are for a reason. You are not in your city or community by accident. You are in your job, your school, your neighborhood, or your apartment complex with the gifts and skills, ability, and resources you possess by divine design. God has sovereignly given you unique opportunities for the spread of gospel hope in a world around you. I don't know the most urgent spiritual and physical needs around you, but God does, so ask him. Where are the poor, the oppressed, the orphaned, the enslaved, and ultimately the lost right 
around me. And church, this morning, I want to exhort our entire congregation. I know when it comes to passages like this, we tend to just tunnel, you know, focus in upon the people who are called, the office itself. But I want to exhort our entire congregation this morning to aspire to noble things, to aspire to answer God's call, his unique and individual call for you and your life. Aspire to answer this call, not reluctantly, but joyfully. Not acting out of fear or security, but in freedom to say yes to him who calls us. This isn't just a message for the officers for the officers of the church or future candidates. It's a message for everyone. And do you know why I say that? Because the person who was called both an overseer and a deacon in Scripture is Jesus himself. Jesus was both called an elder and a deacon, a servant. And while the call to be an officer is not for everyone, the call to become like Jesus is. This is a call for all of us to answer God's call, his higher calling, to say yes. You know, if I could now shift back to the church officers um, as we wind down. You know, if I can be completely honest with our church, um, I think this is one of the hardest parts of church ministry, this whole um, church officer thing. And many, many times, I wish there were no officers in the church. I wish we had no offices, especially after an officer meeting. (laughs) Because if we didn't have offices, I mean, things would be really simple. No one would get hurt. There would be no pride involved. No issues of gender would be a problem. And, you know, for... For a lot of these reasons, churches often put off the act of electing and calling officers. Now, this is a very spiritual trying time when the church goes through this, thinks about officers, the qualifications, and calling people to this service. But I had to repent deeply the past few weeks. And the reason why I had to repent are for two reasons. First, I had to repent because I found myself placing my hope in the officers of the church. I found myself placing my hope in the officers of the church and not in the great elder and the perfect deacon, Jesus himself. You know, in in repentance... It it dawned upon me, I had forgotten that, you know what? Jesus loves the church more than I do. He loves the church more than the officers do. That Jesus serves the church more than we do. That, in fact, Jesus is praying for the church more than I am. 
that He's ministering to the church more than we are. And I had forgotten that we are His bride. And as a perfect elder, Jesus does manage His household well. And if you are like me, and if you have lost your faith in the church, it might be because you lost your faith in its chief overseer, Jesus himself. The second reason why I had to repent is I had, I had to repent because I had forgotten the joy, the joy of calling people into the service of their king and savior. I, the only thing I was thinking about was, man, if we call officers, it's going to be a burden. They're going to hate it. It's going to be burdensome and feel like a task. And I've forgotten that to be called into the service of our king is a joy. You know, the reason why I think many of us think we shouldn't aspire to these offices, we shouldn't want to become an elder, or we shouldn't want to become a deacon, is because we view these roles as one of power and influence. We think, we think of it as an elevated role, a promotion. This is the reason why many people in the church are so modest about it. They are outwardly modest about it. And if they get the sense that someone really seeks it or desires it, you sort of look down on them like, they're not ready. Friends, that's false humility. First, the offices in the church. The offices are not one of power or influence. It is one of service and humility. That is why we should aspire towards it. Because it makes us more like Jesus. So, at the opportunity to serve, to lead others by example, to pour yourself out, to become like Jesus, we should desire it. We should be eager for it. We should say, yes. You know, our church right now, we are in a season of discernment and prayer. Because as, as I shared um, a few months ago, our congregation, we are turning 30 next year. And let me just ask, you know, before we start to look around and think, oh, I wonder who's called. I want to ask you as a church to pray for yourself, to pray for your family, to pray for people in your community group. Pray for one another so that we as a church may see God's call not as a disruption to our plans, not as an annoyance, but to see God's call as a higher call, as our purpose and our fulfillment in life. Would you pray that our church with joy will say yes to our Lord, to our Savior, and serve 
as we enter into our Master's joy. Would you pray with me at this time?